Well, this morning we're going to be in Psalms 111 through 114. If you want to turn there in your Bibles. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to spend time in your word together. We, we do it at home, we do it on our own, but there's something about coming together to do this, to, to study your word and to have this fellowship and this act of worship. Uh, we pray that you're blessed. We pray that you'd speak to our hearts. You, we pray for receptiveness, that we'd um, understand why the heart, anyway, um, of all these psalms, and um, that we'd learn from them, um, that we'd be able to write our own, um, in our own walk with you, songs of praise and thanksgiving and remembrance of what you've done for us, and um, that we'd uh, lead or follow by this, these excellent examples, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. They're short psalms. That's why we're doing four of them. But uh, when we get to Psalm 112, it's actually the completion of Psalm 111. They go together. It's like part one and part two. But Psalm 112 is the beginning of what they call the Hallel Psalms that they would sing during the Passover. And so you'll see a connection there. Um, In verse 1 of Psalm 111, the writer here says, Praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord with my whole heart in the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. That's where we are today. Um, To do it publicly, to do it with your whole heart, not a divided heart. We're warned against the divided heart. I don't want to spend a lot of time on that, but James, our good, faithful, blunt brother, warns us about the tendency that we can have to have a divided heart when it comes to God. That we're a little more cautious about whether we accept everything He has for us. And, or try to ride the rail or ride the fence as far as one foot in the world and one foot in the Lord or in the kingdom. In James chapter 1, verses 5-8, through 8, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. It's a promise. And James understands that. He's experienced it, and he knows the writers or readers have as well. But he warns them about something. He says in verse 6, But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Later on in that same letter that James wrote, he says in verse 8 of chapter 4, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. It bothered him (laughs) to be around people who say they were following Jesus, but just kind of, you know. it, It bothered him so much that he wrote it twice and was very blunt about them need, they need to change. They need to get all in with the Lord. This, this double-mindedness is not, well, it's not, it's not wisdom on your part. First of all, you, don't, you can't have wisdom if you're not sure you're going to receive whatever you've asked for from God. You know, it's, it's like, um, well, you know how people ask your opinion about something and you give it to them and they say, yeah, thanks, I'm going to do it my way anyway. It's like, oh, okay. And I don't mind that, I guess, unless it happens one too many times for me. Then I'm like, you know what? Why don't you do it your way? It sounds like you're going to do that anyway. And when it comes to God, whatever he tells, 
with that being said, p- people have bad ideas. So you can ask someone about their idea. It doesn't mean you have to take it. It could be a bad idea. But when it comes to God, he's never, ever wrong. And what James is talking about is you have this idea of a double-mindedness where you ask God or you read about God or you read his word and you're not so sure he's right. Well, that's a double-mindedness. You don't understand who you're talking to. And so he calls him on it. He says, you, you, you believed on Jesus. I guess God got that part right. He saved you from hell. You like that part. I like the fact that I don't have to do the punishment, do the time. I'm glad that he got me out of that. But for the rest of my life here on earth, yeah. and it bothered James. And so James writes, hey, you guys need to stop being double-minded. And the psalmist here writes, I worship God with my whole heart. Now, he has to say whole heart because he knows that that's a nice way of teaching the same thing James did. You know, if it wasn't an issue of double-mindedness back in Psalm 111, then you wouldn't even write that in there. You just say, let's praise the Lord with our hearts. But since it is an issue and the psalmist knows that, I will praise the Lord. I decide to praise the Lord with my whole heart. I'm not divided on this matter. I've made a decision to follow Christ. This is, it's a decision, you know? Uh, and, and when I accept Christ as my Lord and Savior, and, and I don't know why I spend a lot of time on this, but I, I just get that sense when I'm, when I'm out and about that they've made a decision to not go to hell, but they haven't made a decision to follow Christ. And that, that's part of it. That's the, 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 you can't separate the two. And I just think that needs to be clearly understood. And I think the psalmist understands that too. I will praise the Lord with a whole heart. All of us need to do that. Not a divided heart. Not a halfway walk with the Lord or a false commitment. Verse 2. The works of the Lord are great, studied by all who have pleasure in them. His works are, his work is honorable and glorious, and his righteousness endures forever. He has made his wonderful works to be remembered. And that leads us into where he's headed with these next Psalms, is that I'm, I'm writing about the, and remembering the things that God has done for us. Why do we need to remember those things? Is it to honor him? You know, we have certain days of the year in our, in our country that are considered holidays or special days where we honor. And I'm not talking about it's Donut Monday or whatever that they've done. There's plenty of those too. There's actually a, you can look all that up. What is today's day? And there's like seven things that today represents. It's Bagel Sunday or, you know. No, but like, for, for example, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., we celebrate his life, and we, we remember the work that he did, um, and, the, and, the, and the effort, and the, and, the, and the beauty of that. And, and we remember the 4th of July, and we think of the independence, and we think of... Now, a lot of times those things get lost, what we're supposed to be doing on those days, and any other day, Easter, Christmas, Thanksgiving, um, you know, we can lose sight of what the day is about... And we can be more about the food or about, you know, the fireworks as opposed to what the fireworks represented and so on. So we have those days of remembrance in here and we remember those things to, first of all, it's our heritage. But for the nation of Israel, it's meant to increase their faith and for us as well. Um, 
you know, some say don't read the Old Testament, you just need the New Testament. We're New Testament Christians, we're not Old Testament. Well, the Old Testament is the picture of the New Testament, and you can't really understand the New Testament unless you have the Old Testament. I mean, it explains it. It's, it's our, it's our uh, object lesson for the study, you know. Um, and so when you go through all the things that God set up as the object lesson for the New Testament truths, the Sabbaths, the feasts, um, all the holidays and the and the high holy you know the high days and the and the and the regular sabbaths and all these things, they're meant to be remembered to increase our faith. Um, I'm reminded of who He is and what He's done for us. And if I know what He's done for me in the past, I can be I can trust Him to do those things in the future for me. It's, it's all it is. It isn't just to honor God, although it is. It's to help me trust Him for tomorrow and the next things that are coming up in my life. Now, besides the big ones that we all celebrate together as Christians, we should have our own individual things that God has done for us that we remember. You know, um, I, I had a moment during our worship here. It has nothing to do with you people, but you have to listen to me because I have the microphone. But yesterday I was working on our bull fence stopped. I, it just No electricity going through it at all. I checked it and I doubled I'm like... That's not good, you know. <laughs> but they're too stupid to realize that it's not on right now. So after church, I'm running to Orsland's and we'll get it fixed. So right now we're just on a, on a, on a hope that they don't touch the thing and figure it out. Point is, I was walking back and forth with, you know, and I'm having these conversations with the Lord, not, a, not complaining, just enjoying the day. And it was a little cold, but it was okay. It was, you know, it was nice. And, and then we had that song. I mean, we, we never do. And he walked with me and he talked. We never do those songs. And it's such a treat for me this morning. Uh, you know, and I, I wanted to stand up and kind of go like this. You know, there's a rocking to that song, a little bit of a, you know. But it meant something to me because that's what I was doing yesterday. And he knew that, and I knew that, but nobody else knew that. And it was fine. Nobody needs to know that. But when we sang that song, he's like saying, remember yesterday? Remember yesterday when we were, we were doing that? And so those are little things in my life that I remember his closeness. I remember he confirms things. Like that wasn't just you. It wasn't a one-way conversation, J.D. That wasn't just you crying out into thin air, into blue sky. I heard you. I was with you. And, and those impressions you had on your heart and the things that I brought to your mind, those were for me. That was my answer back to you in those conversations. I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. You know, I was in the garden. And uh, enjoying myself. We all need to have those moments that we have and remember those things just for you. Just for you, you know. I made it public, but I have a lot of those things in my life that are just for me that God has done and has spoken to me and made himself known to me, close to me, you know. We remember these things. He says, the works that the Lord does are made for us to remember. I like that. In Psalm 37, 3 through 5, which is the point of remembering the works of the Lord to increase our trust, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. Those three verses I I think I use more often than any other as cross-references because they're so important to me. He's letting us know this is how it works. 
The more you trust in me, the more you delight in me, the more you commit your way to me, the more I can work in your life. The less you do of those three things, the less I can do in your life. The permission is mine. That's what we mean when you call him a friend. Some people cry, friend, he's Lord, he's king. Of course he is. But he also wants to know I'm your friend, and, and I don't intrude into areas that you don't allow me to get into. Now, I may push and prod like a father would. Hey, hey, hey. But you still can choose. And so we read those things in Psalm 37. I want you to trust in me. I want you to delight yourself in me. I want you to commit your way to me. I'm going to bring some amazing things into your life. The things you, you long for. I want peace. I want, I want joy. I want comfort. I want, I want to know that everything's going to be okay. I want to know that I'm, I'm not making a mistake. I want to know that the decisions are, are going to be fruitful for the future. I want to know these things. God says, I, I need you to trust me, and I need you to delight in me, and in my way. Not put up with my way, not try to you know, stomach my way, or cringe your way through my way. I want you to delight in my way. I want it to be a delight to you. We see that image of Revelation where the angels are flying around the throne, and they're singing, holy, holy, holy. And, and when I first got saved, I got to thinking, of, I mean, for eternity? I mean, how boring. And that's when I first got saved. Give me a break. I'm like, okay, I mean, maybe a hundred years worth of holy, holy, holy. But after a while, can we, you know, we hear so much about choruses being, you know, not biblical and not, well, <laughs> talk about a chorus <laughs> over and over and over again. Because you, every time you look at him, it's like a whole new, whole, whoa, I mean, you're still holy. And a thousand years from now, you're still holy. And a million years from now, you're, you're even more holy than I looked at yesterday or the last time I looked at you. It's just amazing. Well, I've grown a little bit. I've matured a little bit. And I'm looking forward to that. I don't know about everybody else and hearing their voices too. Probably I'll enjoy the chorus of all of us. But I get to do that and I get to see him and I get to say it and he gets to hear from his ears, from my mouth. And I know he's present, but it's different, you know? I'm looking forward to that. I delight in his way. For me to sing holy, holy, holy for the rest of eternity, I look forward to that now. It's not boring. I'm anxious for it now. I wait for it. I long for it. Verse 4, the rest of it. The Lord is gracious, full of compassion. He has given food to those who fear him. He will ever be mindful of his covenant. We sometimes think, has he forgotten me? Or no, I'm ever mindful of my promises to you. I'll give you food. I'll take care of you. Um, I'm looking for those that fear me, though. And it's not the kind of fear like, you know, a dictatorship kind of fear, you know, watch out kind of thing, but uh, an understanding of who he is, his size, his, the scope of his, of his uh, majesty, you know, the train of his robe fills the temple. I mean, it's just, he's just very awe-inspiring, and that's the idea behind this, that fear. And I take care of those who understand that, who see me, not the way they think they should see me as someone small, like a genie in a bottle that can be brought out and put back in at will, but truly have an understanding of who I am. And so the cross-reference I use is, for this is 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 5 through 8, talking about how he takes care of those who fear him. And it's, it has to do with Elijah. Elijah is a prophet in the Old Testament, and God had pronounced that, hey, there's... You're not paying attention to me. 
Israel, you are treating me like a genie in a bottle. You are, you are doing that. But not everybody was doing that. There's always a remnant. There's always a group of people that saw God. And, and unfortunately, they get tossed into kind of these judgment moments with God also. But when that happens, God takes care of those who fear him through those things. You think of as, as God is trying to judge Egypt to let Israel go, to let the nation out of Egypt. Many things happen to the Egyptians that doesn't happen to the Israelites. And they're in the same exact location, same place. And yet when they had darkness, the Israelites had light and so on. It wasn't affecting them. So in this moment with Elijah, and I picked him out because it isn't a nation. It's just a guy, just a man like all of us, a man of like passions. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. That's key. That shows us where he is in the middle of this little judgment that God has for Israel. Elijah did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and stayed in the brook um, Kareth, which flows into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. God took care of him with the food and the water in the middle of all those things. He didn't have to, you know, prepare for the ice age, you know, kind of thing. Sorry, it's ice age reference there. Um, he, he, he did what God told him to do. I, I've got to do this to the nation of Israel to bring them back to me. So there's a famine coming across the land, but you're not going to go through that. I'm going to put you here if you'll do what I ask you to do. Well, yeah, I want to go where I'm not going to starve to death. Well, don't go by that brook over there. Okay, and I'll, I'll, I'll get you some meat. And, how's that going to work? And all of a sudden, ravens, you know. I mean, not many of us would eat food out of a bird's mouth, but he did. He was hungry, you know. But watch what happens next. And I want us to really grab a hold of this this morning, okay? Because the story doesn't end there. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Well, now what? Then the word of the Lord came to him. Step two, Elijah. See, it isn't just one time. It's a constant listening and a constant walking. I want you to go to the brook. And you go by the brook and you sit there. And for a while you're taken care of. And he says, oh, the water dried up. That's right. Now ready? Step two. I want you, and this is what it says specifically. Arise and go to Zarephath, where, uh, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. The ravens did it over here. But now we're doing something new, and I'm going to take you over here, and the widow's going to do it. And, and I'm, see, she's got problems, and I need you to be thirsty enough to go over here. And then when I get you there, you're, she's going to take care of you, but I'm going to take care of her also and her problems. I mean, God is just orchestrating these things. What if Elijah hadn't trusted in the Lord to take care of him during that famine? These are some of the things I think about. I, I, I struggle like everybody else's. Well, you know, the ant, he stores up for the winter. He knows in the harvest, he's got to store up for the winter. And I know all those verses. And I think so. A man who sees danger and is prudent, you know, <laughs> and prepares for it. I, I get all that. But what if Elijah had taken those two verses to heart, it got in a cave, it's Old Testament prepper here, and had put everything in the back of the cave and had his gun facing the cave. And there he was. I am ready for this. God is bringing judgment to the world. 
Well, he wouldn't have had the beauty of God providing for him through the ravens, and he also wouldn't have been able to be used to go minister to this widow in the middle of this famine. Can I trust God that much? Can I trust God that much? You know, I think it's important. I'm not saying that you shouldn't be like the ant, and I'm not saying you shouldn't see danger and prepare for it. But I also want to be so in love with God that if I did get everything ready, and he says, now I want you to leave all that behind for somebody else. Thanks for preparing that for them. They're going to need that food. I need you to take nothing with you and walk with the sandals on your feet 400 miles that way to minister to somebody. Would I be willing to do it? I can't leave my stuff. I can't leave my my cave, you know. And that's an extreme example of we've all done that with our lives in many ways, gotten ourselves so comfortable and rooted and grounded in the things we know and the security that we've found that can he, can he move us? Can he take us someplace else? Can, will we go? Paul warns of this very danger of not, of being so entangled with the things of this world that you can't be used. We have to be careful about that. I want to be able to cut and run, you know, cut and run. Anyway, it's a great example of that. This Elijah is a wonderful story. And he doesn't do so great in a little bit, but he does great here, you know, at this point. Verse 6, back in Psalm 111. He has declared to his people the power of his works in giving them the heritage of the nations. The works of his hands are uh, verity and justice, which is truth and justice. All his uh, precepts are sure. You can trust everything he says. You don't ever have to wonder. They stand fast forever and ever and are done in truth and uprightness. He has sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. These, uh, these psalms, as we go through these, remember, are not just written for the singer. It's written for everybody else that's going to sing that song. And most of the people that sing these songs didn't go through the things they're singing about. And so it's meant to inspire. It's meant to encourage. Look, what God did with the nation of Israel back then with the, with the Red Sea and the Jordan River and the, and the burning on top of the mountain and the Ten Commandments and the, all these things that he did, he still wants to do all that with you. When, when you teach youth, um, and I mean youth that are, that are beyond crayons and, and that kind of stuff, but you get to that age where you're like, okay, they're, they're at that point where is Jesus, is, is what we're doing here a philosophy? Is what we're doing here um, just one of many? Or is there truly something supernatural that's going to take place in my life like I read about in the Bible? And I think if we don't have those things as adults that we can share with the kids around us and with the youth around us and what what God is doing in us, and all we can point to is what happened back then. I'm not saying we shouldn't, but if that's all we have and he hasn't done anything since, I think they have a really hard time understanding what's the point. 
I mean, is this just a perpetual uh, day of remembrance for us, or is he going to act like that in my life as well? Kids love the book of Revelation for a reason. Adults are scared to death to read it, but the kids are like, are you kidding me? Tell me about prophecy. Tell me about how this happens. Tell me about what's going to happen in the future before it happens. I mean, that's, that's exciting stuff. And the reason they're excited about it is because that's, that's a chance for them to say, is this, is this going to continue? You mean this Bible doesn't stop with it's going to go on and there's other things going to take place and we're going to watch and I'm going to witness and I'm going to be a part of the plan of God in this world? Absolutely. You know, that's exciting to them. Now they want to share Jesus with all their friends, not because, but they're, they're seeing it happen in their lives. They're like, oh my goodness, you said it would happen. It did. And I prayed quietly and I tested God. I prayed quietly and I said, God, nobody can hear me but you. And this is what I want. This is what I'm thinking about. And it wasn't like money or a Mercedes or something like that, something dumb. But it was something I want, I want to know that you're, you're speaking to me like you spoke to all these folks I read about. And then he does. And they're in awe and it's wonderful. And they're like, oh my goodness, there's a real God. And it's not academic in the sense that it's not theoretical. It's happening in my life like it's happening to them. It's very important. These Psalms are meant to inspire. God wants to do the same thing. I don't want you just to remember what I've done. I want you to look for me to do it in your life in the future too. Psalm 112. Praise the Lord. This is where they begin to sing for the Passover. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in his commandments. His descendants will be mighty on the earth. The generation of the upright The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches will be in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. These are promises that God has given to them. I want you to walk with me. In other words, you know, I think a new way of saying this today, and and it's not really a hack, but we call them life hacks. They're not life hacks. I don't know why we use that word, but it's just neat ideas. You know, Here's 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 a dinner hack. Like you you know, like there's no other way to do it other than that I've hacked into the system. I don't know why they say it that way, but they do. We understand what it means, though, what they're trying to get across. This is a great way to do this, you know. The psalmist here is giving the singer a hack, a life hack. Do you want to do well in this world? Do you want to walk the way God wants you to walk? And things go right because that's the plan. The, the, the world is designed to work the way God designed it to work. And so when you do life the way God designed it, it works, you know? And the only problems I have in this life is when I run into people or, or myself and I don't do the way God designed it to work. And that's when we have sin. That's when we have problems. That's when things go awry and we get off, off track. That's all he's saying. You start with the fear of the Lord. Delight in his commandments. Don't just stomach them. Don't just tolerate them. But delight in them. And it's going to be amazing. It's a wonderful walk. I'm not talking about wealth and rich. I mean, he is talking about money. I mean, you think about the guys that that, that he's talking about. He's talking about Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Solomon, and many others who just trusted in the Lord. Abraham, I don't, know we, I don't think we realize how rich he was. And this isn't a prosperity doctrine moment. I'm not trying to teach that this morning. But I don't think we realize how he had a standing army on his own of 300 men that could fight. I mean, that's a CEO of CEOs back in the Old Testament, you know, and they lived in tents 
kind of thing. But he was responsible for all those men and all their wives and all their kids. And his, it was an empire in a sense, you know. But he didn't, but when you read about Abraham, the reason that doesn't come to mind, you don't think of, you know, you know, almost a thousand tents and all the animals involved. I mean, we're talking about thousands of camels and, and all these things that are there. We don't think about that because he was so humble. That's not what he talks about. He doesn't talk, he doesn't complain about his responsibilities, nor does he boast or brag about. But when you read, and then I had to go find Lot, my nephew, got himself in trouble down in Sodom. And, you know, there he goes. He's, he's taken captive. Should have never gone down there. Let's go, guys. All you 300. And I read that. I'm like, 300 guys just standing there waiting? That's a ton. Imagine feeding them three times a day. It's your responsibility. So when God talks about wealth and riches and, and all these things, it, it, it's not about you and and. And, and wearing the gold and, and all that. It's about because you're walking with God and because you're, you're doing it right and you have humility, meekness, power, and control, um, you're able to bless so many other people in your life. You know, So many other people are able to come under that blessing of your obedience to God. And he takes care of them through your obedience to God. And then like Boaz, you think of Boaz and all the guys in his field and so on. Anyway, the story goes on. That's what he's talking about. Unto the upright, there arises light in the darkness. He is gracious and full of compassion and righteousness, or righteous. A good man deals graciously and lends. He will guide his affairs with discretion. Um, the light that we have, and that light is meant to just give sight. That's the idea. If you're in the dark, you want a flashlight, you want a lamp, you want something, you know, depends on what era you live in. But the light is a a real blessing when you're going to the barn, you know, whether it's a full moon or whether you got a flashlight or whether you got a lantern, it's a real blessing. You're not going to, you know, step in a hole or, or whatever. There's light. It exposes things in the dark. It lets you see what the darkness is trying to conceal and cover. And that's the idea. When you're walking with the Lord, he brings light to your eyes, to your life. You can see things. You're warned of tragedy before tragedy strikes. You're warned of pitfalls and snares before they happen. He helps you. He guides you around all these things. The upright there arises. Uh, there's light. It's a blessing. Um, in Philippians chapter one, verses nine through ten, and this I pray, Paul writes to the Philippians, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere without offense till the day of Christ. That discernment and that knowledge, that's the light he's talking about. The ability to see beyond. You know, um, when God gives you a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom about something that isn't necessarily public information, but all of a sudden you get this sense or this feeling or this idea. I, don't, I think this is what's happening here. That's the Lord. He's giving you his bird's eye view of the situation that you don't have. All you have is that horizontal view. He's giving you that. He's just saying those who, those who trust in the Lord, delight in his commandments, uh, he, he gives you sight where other people don't have it. Now, what do you do with that? Do you lay traps for them? No, you're gracious, full of compassion and righteous. The good man deals graciously and he lends. You usually lend into those who didn't see the tragedy, who didn't see the the difficulty or the problem, you know, who don't have that discernment. 
And again, Abraham comes to mind, always having to help and take care. He will guide his affairs with discretion. Surely he will never be shaken. The righteous will be in everlasting remembrance. Constant reminder of how good God is. He will not be afraid of evil tidings. You know, I'm going to get you. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. His heart is established. He will not be afraid until he sees his desire upon his enemies. I don't have to be worried about that. If you're living an upright life and you're living in truth and you're living in righteousness and someone says, I'm going to get you, I'm going to do this, you just give them space. Give them room to destroy themselves because you're doing what God wants you to do. That's fine. Do whatever you want to do. You can threaten me all you want, but I'm not afraid of anything you have to say to me. Or anything you think can you, you can do to me. I'm not, I'm not afraid of it. Because I'm doing what's right. I have a clean conscience. I lay my head down at night and I fall asleep like a baby. Because I'm not worried about being found out, discovered, you know, compromised or whatever. It's wonderful. He has dispersed abroad. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn will be exalted with honor. The wicked will see it and be grieved. He will gnash his teeth and melt away. The desire of the wicked shall perish. He's talking about those. The wicked are going to gnash their teeth. That's amazing how many times that came up in Matthew. Just I'm going to run through these really quick because we have, a, I have a, you know, we want to get through these last two Psalms. But in Matthew eight twelve, Jesus says, "But the sons of the kingdom will cast." will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And that gnashing of teeth is just a, it's, it's not even regret. It's, it's anger that it's happening or that you were right kind of thing. And there's just, oh, they're just frustrated with the whole thing. They're frustrated with God. They're frustrated that they're going to hell. Like everybody said that it was going to happen. Oh, they did, and they gnashed their teeth. I mean, you didn't think Jesus talked about hell. Look at this. I mean, Matthew 8, 12, Matthew 13, 42. And we'll cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 13, 50. And cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Matthew twenty two thirteen. And the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew twenty four fifty one. And I will cut him in, in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew twenty five thirty, And cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's a lot of times. You think Jesus was here to tell us that he's accepting? That he's affirming? Or that we're in danger and there's something to be avoided. Listen to me. I'm here on a rescue mission. If you don't heed my voice, this is what happens. This is, this is the future. This is coming. This is going down. And I'm here to tell you, get in the lifeboat. Avoid this. That's a, that is grace and mercy right there. I'm telling you, I'm here to save you from that. And we got people that are double-minded saying, I don't know about all of that. They don't get in the boat. They don't accept Christ as their Lord and Savior. They don't let him do what he came to do for them. Because they're not so sure about all that. Well, he was very adamant about it. Now, Psalm 113. We'll go through these last two pretty quickly. Praise the Lord. Praise those servants of the Lord. Praise, his, praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from the time forth and forevermore. 
From the rising of the sun to its going down, the Lord's name is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations, his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God who dwells on high, who humbles himself to behold the things that are in the heavens and in the earth? Now, you know, when they were singing that, like, what do you mean by that? You know, well, because Jesus is God come in the flesh. He humbled himself and became a man. Verse 7, he raises the poor out of the dust and lifts the needy out of the ash heap that he may seat him with princes, with the princes of his people. He grants the barren woman a home like a joyful mother of children. Praise the Lord. He doesn't grant the barren woman a child necessarily. I just wanted to pause on that for a moment. He grants her to be like a mother of children. The joy of it is there. There isn't a promise from God that every woman will bear children. I don't know why I need to bring that up today because I just, there's this idea um, that whenever I run across this psalm or read this psalm that talks about the children are heritage of the Lord, they get upset. Well, I don't have any children, so that means I, I don't, God's joy isn't in my life. No, no, that's not what it means. You're just saying don't, don't think kids are a bad idea. He didn't mean to make women that don't have children less. That's not what he's saying. He's just saying don't make kids less. That's the point of that. And so when we read this, it's important. I I may never have children, but he's going to give me and be like a joyful mother of children. He's going to give me that joy. And I don't know how that happens in each person's life or whether that happens here or when we get to heaven, because it may not happen here. But oftentimes I hear about people that just have these wonderful opportunities to minister to kids, not their kids, you know. And they treat them like they're their own and love them and encourage them and go through all the feelings that a mother would of, of, of caring and nurturing. And there they go and they walk away and all oh, you miss them and all these things happen to, to They're having the same experience. God does that. Does he take all the poor out of the dust now? No, a lot of poor people die in the dust here. But they're raised to new life in Christ. They're seated at the right hand of the Father they, in the sense that they rule and reign and they're, they're with him in, this, in these things. Um, this, this earth is such a short time period to be so concerned about, but here we are. And all the psalmist is trying to say, there's a time, there's, there's coming a day. It's a prophecy, it's a hope, it's, it's, it's what we rest our faith upon uh, is that God's going to do this for everybody. One day, you know, There'll be no more crying, no more death, no more sickness. One day, there's going to be no more poverty, no more hunger, no more need. One day. We're looking forward to that. Psalm 114. We'll finish up here. Then Israel went out of Egypt, the house of Jacob, from the people of strange language. Judah became his sanctuary and Israel his dominion. The sea saw it and fled. Talking about the Red Sea parting. Jordan turned back when they went into the promised land. The waters were held back. The mountains skipped like rams and the hills like little lambs or, or the, the hills like lambs, rams and lambs, you know. And, and I don't know if that's the burning and the rocks, you know, quaking and the voice of the Lord or whether that's the water coming out. He seems to indicate that here at the end, the water that came out of the rock for the nation of Israel. Um, what ails you, O sea, that you fled? O Jordan, that you turned back. O mountains, that you skipped like rams. O little hills, like lambs. Now, I don't know why he has to, 
give the give the creation a hard time about it, but he just feels the need to say what what happened. You know, how to, God stepped in. You know, God made a way through all these things. I don't have a red seat across. I don't stand at the edge of Mazingo and you know wait. You know for these things. It, but I have a lot of things where God needs to intercede in my life. I need him to step in a lot of times. There are impossible barriers in front of me, and it's like, I don't know what to do, God. All I can do is cry out to you and wait. I can't go back. That's what's waiting for me back there, and I, I can't go forward because this barrier's in the way. God, you're going to have to make a way. I trust you. You brought me here. You led me here. You brought me to this shoreline, and yet I'm stuck. But I know I'm not stuck because you're with me. I mean, every one of us has those moments in our lives. And the psalmist is saying, you may never run across a Red Sea or another river that needs to be, you know, or a a mountain that needs to be removed out of your way, but you will in your life, in your walk, little things, smaller things, God wants to take care of. Verse 7, tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of of, of the God of Jacob, who turned the rock into a pool of water, the flint into a fountain of waters, which I think is referencing the the water that was coming out of the rock. And that's where we close this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these psalms, these uh, songs of remembrance, um, uh, running through our minds, uh, the things that you have done in the past, especially for the nation of Israel, but also what you want to do in the future, that you're, you're still the same God that wants to do these things in our lives every day, if we'll look for them, if we'll if we'll wait for you to act, if we'll be led by your voice um, and give you the opportunity to be strong on our behalf, um, you'll do them. And um, so I pray that if, if there are anybody in this room that's never actually prayed to you or actually asked to see your hand move in their life, I pray that this would be the day that just between you and them, that you'd show up strong on their behalf, that they'd, they'd realize and know that it's not, philosophy, that we're not praying into thin air, that you're there, and that you want to help, and that you want to step in, and that you want to have a, that kind of relationship with us, one of trust, one of provision, one of, one of care. And so, God, I thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word and your encouragement. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. We'd be glad to pray with you. Otherwise, have a good rest of the week.